Our second reading for the day comes from Paul's epistle to the church in Rome. Uh, chapter 12, start in verse 1 and read through verse 8. Listen now for the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, minister, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had to be in a meeting or a class or on a committee or working on a project with someone who thought that they were the smartest guy in the room? <laughs> there probably aren't really a lot of people like that around a place like this, so you may not know exactly what I'm talking about. But the smartest guy in the room, and I'm using guy as a gender neutral term, this could be an individual of any gender, any demographic at all. The smartest guy in the room is sometimes the one who talks the most, who really seems to enjoy the sound of their own voice and likes to keep the rich resonance of their own wisdom hanging in the air for as long as possible. Or sometimes the smartest guy in the room is the one who sits in a corner and mostly stays quiet silently taking stock of everything that everyone else contributes until the perfect opportunity arises to let everyone else know just how wrong they are. When I was first reading over this passage to prepare this sermon, and Paul starts in on not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think, my first thought was, oh, this is for all the smartest guys in the room Way to go, Paul. Give him a little gut check there. Well done. Because those guys, man, those guys drive me crazy. But of course, I have to admit that most of the time, when I'm listening to the smartest guy in the room go on and on about their smart ideas, or I'm waiting for the smartest guy in the room to, that's quietly giving everyone the side eye to finally say their piece, Mostly what I'm doing is thinking of myself a bit more highly than I ought to. Oh Lord, thank you for making me so much smarter, so much less obnoxious, so much more likable than the smartest guy in the room. It is human nature, I'm afraid, to size ourselves up by the measure of those around us. It is human nature to compare 
to compete and to keep score in our relationships with each other. This is true for the Christians in Rome, just as it is true for us today. The Christians in Rome were a divided lot, split into two factions that differed ethnically and ideologically. Paul didn't know these believers in Rome well, didn't know much about them except that they were really getting in their own way and in the way of the greater mission of the movement because they just couldn't get on the same page. As a newly ordained clergy person in a denomination that's splitting apart right now because of the same debates that we've been having for over 50 years, I know that it's frustrating to think about all the energy that we waste on not getting along. Energy that could be put into so many other things. Things that would actually be in service to the gospel that we claim to preach. Paul didn't have, much, uh, didn't have to know much about these believers to know that if they couldn't figure out how to get along with each other, they wouldn't be able to do much good for anyone else. The overwhelming theme of Paul's letter to the Romans is grace. For 11 chapters, Paul has tried to lay out the story of God's grace in such a way that all the Christians in Rome, Jews and Gentiles, could find themselves in it. The gospel is for Israel, Paul promises, and this gospel is for the Greek too. It is for each of you, and it is for all of you. A love that will not let us go, mercies never failing. And now here in chapter 12, Paul is at a precipice, marked by this big therefore. So, we've been drawn into a relationship with God. So, we've been saved by grace through faith. So, what? How should what we believe about grace shape the lives that we live? Several years ago, when I was cleaning out a closet at the small Methodist church where I used to serve, I was delighted to find a stack of slim songbooks with black covers stuck away on a shelf collecting dust, songbooks titled The Faith We Sing. Now I love singing hymns, but I was excited about being able to mix up the repertoire a bit from the one old 1989 hymnal that was sitting in our pews. So I carried these little black songbooks over to the sanctuary and started putting them into the pew pockets only to find that we were a few short. And so I asked the church secretary if she would put in an order for a handful more. And she said, oh, I think I know where we have some. We got a donation a few years back from the Presbyterian church. And she went off and came back with a stack of slim songbooks with blue covers titled Sing the Faith. And I opened one up and saw that, yeah, it was the same songbook as The Faith We Sing, just with a blue cover instead of a black one. This one was a PCUSA rebranding of the Methodist version, published a couple of years after ours. And I cared way more about saving a buck than having a matching, uh, matching songbook covers. And so into the pews they went. But one Sunday I discovered that it isn't exactly the same songbook. 
For the closing hymn, I had selected number 2153, the old spiritual, I'm gonna live so God can use me. Now it doesn't get much more Wesleyan, pietist, revivalist, personal holiness, going on toward perfection Methodist than that song. Plus, as the kids say, it slaps. <laughs> but I noticed as we started singing that some of the folks in the pews, the ones holding up the blue songbooks rather than the black ones, looked very confused. And so after the service, I went and I looked up number 2153 in the blue Presbyterian books to find in the place of I'm gonna live so God can use me that there was a different song. Number 2153, transform us. Now, I'm not sure it gets much more Calvinist. <laughs> Sovereignty of God, total depravity, justification by grace, reformed Presbyterian, than a song called Transform Us. Now, it turns out that though Presbyterians and Methodists jive pretty well together theologically, there were a select few of these theologically founded substitutions made when, when you all rebranded our songbook. <laughs> and I get that. You got to make a thing your own. Now, I can tell you that trying to sing these two songs together at the same time did not produce beautiful music. <laughs> it was mostly just confusing, frustrating noise. It's just not the way they're meant to be sung. But each song emphasizes something important about who God is and who we're called to be. Each song leans on a different aspect of God's grace. If you're holding up a blue songbook, you might sing to God, transform us, because we need the grace of God to continue to strengthen us for the tasks of proclaiming the gospel and cultivating love within a broken and beautiful world. In fact, it is only because of God's grace working within us that we can be transformed to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. We cannot live into this calling upon our lives on our own, no matter how hard we work or how good we try to be. The love of God cannot be earned. It is a free gift of grace. Now, if you're holding up a black songbook, you might sing out of a place of personal commitment I'm gonna live so God can use me. Because as Christians, we are saved by grace for a purpose. We do have a real responsibility to the world around us to serve others, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be on the move, on the lookout, always watching for every opportunity to do all the good we can by all the means we can in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can, as long as ever we can. We are empowered by the grace of God, but the work is given to us to do. We are meant to be not only recipients of God's grace, but participants in it as well. 
We aren't meant to bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. It is God's job to bring about transformation beyond what we can do on our own. And yet our lives are meant to be lived so that God can use us in transformative ways. And if we only sang one version of Song 2153, we might miss out on the wisdom of the other one. And if we try to sing them both at the same time, Straining our voices to be heard, we lose the power of each. And I have to wonder if this isn't the same kind of lesson that Paul's getting at when he gets to his big therefore with the Christians in Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. The ongoing work of the Christian life, the living sacrifice that we are called to make is to extend the same kind of grace that has been given to us by the God who loves us. If I can step back and shut up long enough to listen to the songs that you sang and you can do the same for mine, then we both stand to gain something. We stand to have our perspectives heard. We stand to find ways that each of our viewpoints might balance out the other. We stand to learn just what kind of hopes or fears or longings may be leading each of us to sing the songs that we do, to make the mistakes that we make, to pray the prayers that we pray. This is the power of grace. It enables us to see our differences not as reasons to turn and walk away from each other, but rather as reasons to continue over and over again to see different giftings and different perspectives and different strengths and even different weaknesses as reasons to come together and learn more about who God is even as we learn more about each other. So I guess the smartest guy in the room does have a thing or two to teach me, at least about grace, about who God is and about who God loves. And so does the person with the most audacious vision, the most knowledge, the most conviction, the most generosity, the most diligence, and the most compassion the living sacrifice that we are invited to make is to set aside competition, comparison, and keeping score. And instead to remember that we each have songs to offer, gifts to use, and perspectives to share. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. Friends, we belong to each other, bound together not just by all we hold in common, but by the very grace of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>